Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Barbara Mann, principal at Barbara Mann Dance Academy and Theatre School, a school established in Bradford in 1981. Barbara, hello. Hi. Hi, Matthew. Uh, thank you for coming on the program today. Um, we might as well get started. Uh, as regular listeners uh, to the podcast will know, I always like to begin our conversation with simply asking you, what does the word leader mean to you? Gosh, the word leader uh, implies to me somebody who can take charge without being uh, judgmental and can give authority using compassion and good thought process. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? I'm quite relaxed uh, in most situations, although when it's needed, I'm, I am very firm, but I do always try to be fair and make um, decisions based on um the criteria that surrounds each given situation. Now, of course, right now with uh, the uh, current uh, state of affairs with uh, the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, I'm sure that you're having to adapt your operations as a, uh, as an institution. Uh, How are you uh, meeting this, uh, this current challenge? Um, At the moment, I'm not overly worried by the situation that's uh, going on. I trust the the British scientists with the information that they've been given out. I've made sure that I've listened to the information by the scientists rather than by social media and the media. Um, And I'm, I'm taking certain precautions, but I'm not overly concerned at the moment. The uh, environment that I work in, uh, we work with small groups. We're, we're not in huge groups. I have very level-headed and sensible parents who bring their children to class. The children are very well behaved and follow all the uh, rules and regulations that have been uh, given out to them. So at the moment, things for us are continuing as normal, bearing in mind the information that we've been given. Now, of course, as uh, the government's implementation of social distancing um, ratchets up, in effect, um, do you foresee any sort of long-term issues for your business? For me personally, no. I I tend to view things with a more positive outlook than the negative doom and gloom. My personal feeling is that as long as we take the precautions that are detailed to us, and particularly looking after our vulnerable um, older or very young, or people who are generally vulnerable without all this chaos going on around them, we need to make sure they're protected. But I think generally if we're fit and well and happy and healthy and lead um, a positive, uh, structured lifestyle, then we should actually all be okay and hopefully um, once all the um, initial panic is over 
we'll just be able to carry on with our lives without without too much disruption. Uh, I think I think it depends on um, different individuals. Mm. Some people are very negative in the thought process and will only see the negative. Those of us that are more positive can we deal with it differently. Mm. Well, let's go back uh, to uh, the subject of leadership, uh, shall we? Uh Um, Let's go back, in fact, to the very beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Were there any particular individuals or circumstances that really shaped the way that you lead today? I think in the dance world, as teachers, things change as you become older. I found when I was younger that I constantly felt myself being pressured to have perfection from every student and if I didn't get perfection I found that um, as a failing in my teaching then over the years as I've I've become more mature and I'm much more experienced and I realise that it's not perfection that Mm. we should be searching for We, we should be teaching for the children to be the best that they can be Right. Um, some children dance just for fun. Uh, some dance for exercise. Some do for the social aspect of it, and some want to go on to be professionals. So each of those different uh, character of dancer has to be able to feel the freedom to relate themselves to their own dance, rather than be put through this process of everything's got to be perfect. So once I stopped trying to put myself under so much pressure and put the children under so much pressure, things became much easier and dance and teaching dance became much more enjoyable. Well, something must be working because, of course, you've had pupils go on to perform with the Russian State Ballet uh, and also uh, with the uh, Repertoire Theatre Company. Um, Yeah. Please, could you elaborate a bit on that? Uh, Yeah, we had, um, for quite a few years, we had different ballet companies from Russia and other areas that came to perform there, um, whichever ballet it might have been, or even um, operas. They would come and do their performances at the theatres where we are, and the children were chosen to go and perform with those dancers. So they've done... Numerous different ballets, Giselle, they've been in Aida, Carmen, uh, so di- different operas and different ballet companies um, that they've done in the past, which the children absolutely loved. It was amazing to be dancing with professionals who, you know, really had outstanding skills. So that was really inspirational. And then over the years, um, some of those students have gone on to dance professionally. Um, some um, have currently 12 girls who run their own dancing schools up and down the country. Um, I have uh, students who are dancing with full-time ballet schools or um, performing arts schools at the moment who are hoping to go maybe into the West End or join ballet companies. So it's, um, it's quite a broad spectrum of uh, skills that the students are learning. Well, Barbara, it's absolutely fantastic uh, that your pupils are able to make such a success of that. And do you feel that that's down to uh, a sort of almost a mentorship relationship you have with your pupils? Um, Yeah, I think my expectations 
of the students as I've become older um, can sometimes be different to a lot of, um, I suppose, dancing teachers or people in this industry. Um, I, I don't, when the children are in class, I don't class myself as being a strict uh, disciplinarian type teacher, but I do have expectations of the children and of the families. So when the parents are at the building or the siblings, you know, I have um, a coffee shop within the dance dance studio. So when the siblings are sat waiting, you know, for a class to finish, there's an expectation from them to behave in a particular respectful um and polite manner and that expectation also runs into the dance class so when the children are in class they know I have an expectation of them which if they meet that expectation Mm. then they stay a member of the school if they don't meet that expectation of respect and discipline and uh, self-discipline then you know I, I don't allow them to stay so it's really more about their uh, behaviour rather than their danceability. Well, Barbara, uh, unfortunately, our time together is uh, drawing to its close. Uh, but before okay. I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store uh, for uh, Barbara Mann Dance Academy and Theatre School? Right. We're all currently working on dancing examinations, which are coming up. We do have an exam book at the end of beginning of April but obviously we have to see what happens as regards um, any more closures that might be um, implemented on us but we have um, examinations booked over the next two or three months and we have a display and presentation in um, July when the children will then show all the work that they've worked on this past year to the parents and then we give awards out to those that have earned the award and then we break for summer and then we're just back to normal again in September. I do have uh, one girl who is finishing her full-time training in a couple of weeks so we're hoping to go see her summer showcase at her ballet school. So lots, lots happening. Well, Barbara, it has been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you come back on the program at some point in the near future. Barbara, thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Barbara Mann, principal at Barbara Mann Dance Academy and Theatre School. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good 
positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from... Uh, for uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Th those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, 
we're actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term... Uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to, given your answer, David to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as prime minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm -hmm. but to listen because you are 
conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. Well, everyone knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after no, week. No, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again well i'm a chelsea fan so i'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um (laughs) but i would like to pick up on another point you just made actually david about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened Mm. and I imagine I I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it if they're just toadies by the way and there is a tendency a new mm. prime minister large majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in i, I, I won't comment on some of the less able but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as i speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it i mean incidentally anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. 
And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa a, mm. for a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either what, um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Not quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, but again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back, because you do, from seeing things change for the better. You, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end... You've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they, it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us, it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very, uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will 
be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January. And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach. Those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that... What they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandy or, or Keir. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my f family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us God today. God bless you, Jonathan. <laughs> this has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.